3: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal and All You Can Eat, a regular segment with KQED food editor Luke Sai is back today. As we get ready for a lunar new year, we're talking with a set of Asian American bakers and cookbook authors who are reimagining the traditional desserts of their cultures pastry filled with durian cream, a thumbprint cookie with an umeboshi plum center, a Danish filled with sesame and yuzu. These are treats that you're unlikely to find in Asia, nor are you likely to find them outside Filipino, Vietnamese, and Chinese American kitchens and imaginations. I'm already ravenous for all these things. Join me in extreme hunger
4: after this news.
3: Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal, and welcome to the latest edition of our collaboration with the KQED food team, All You Can Eat. As usual, we're joined by KQED food editor, Luke Sai. Welcome, Luke. Hi, Alexis. Thanks so much. So we've got Lunar New Year coming up, uh, time for celebration, some sweets. We wanted to check in with a crew of bakers and cookbook authors who are creating a distinctly Asian-American set of foods Steeped in Bay Area culinary customs, as well as our particular cultural mix, they are the new wave. So set us up, Luke. Talk to me about what you see happening in this kind of Asian-American dessert sphere.
5: Yeah, you know, like I think in the Bay Area, we have this really rich legacy of traditional Asian bakeries. You know, you have iconic places like Golden Gate Bakery um, in San Francisco Chinatown um, or these suburban chains like... Uh, my standby, uh, Shen Ki. Um, And, you know, I think given the long history of Asian-Americans in uh, Northern California, you could say that some form of Asian-American baking has existed for probably, you know, more than 100 years. Like, um, I think you could say that fortune cookies, uh, which were <laughs> an invention in California, um, were in a way an early manifestation of um, like an Asian-American dessert, <laughs> quote unquote, mm-hmm. Um, But I think, like, for the most, like, for most of this history, a bakery would still be, like, a Chinese bakery um, or a Japanese bakery, even if it had some American influences. Mm -hmm. And so I don't remember seeing this sort of explicitly Asian-American framing of desserts and bakeries, um, probably until, like, the mid to late 2010s. And I think it was part of this broader... Um, Asian-American food movement that hmm. started several years prior to that on the savory side. you know. So you had people like Roy Choi and David Chang who were doing things like Talbi tacos or they were mm-hmm. mainstreaming Taiwanese pork buns. Um, but you didn't really start to see that on the baking or dessert side um, until um, the, the first bakery here in the Bay Area that I remember explicitly framing itself that way um was bread belly um in san francisco's inner richmond uh great bakery uh which opened around i think 2017 or 2018 um and i remember when they opened it was like a big deal like they explicitly said you know we do asian desserts and breads but this is not a traditional asian bakery this is an asian american yeah. um bakery and i think you know that could mean a lot of things but i think um you know, broadly speaking, these are bakeries that might serve sort of traditional um, American or French pastries, like a a croissant or macaron, um, but with Asian flavor profiles, like like ube, you know, the purple yam that's especially popular in the Philippines, um, or pandan leaves, which is this fragrant, uh, grassy herb that you see in a lot of Southeast Asian cooking. Mm -hmm. And so you have this sort of new generation, it was like a lot of Um, pastry chefs that had come out of like a classical French training, and maybe they had worked at fine dining restaurants or like sort of traditional French patisseries. Um, But then they decided um, that what they really love is, you know, Mm -hmm. Singaporean pastries or or Chinese um, breads um, or Filipino pastries. Um, And so, basically uh opened these businesses and we've really seen an explosion of them really in the past two or three years um yeah. that have that explicit framing
3: well let's bring in you know you mentioned bread belly you know a real trailblazing uh place we have clem sue who is the co-owner of bread belly which of course is a bakery and cafe in the richmond in san francisco welcome clem
4: what's up good morning. Yeah. yeah.
3: Uh, great to have you with us. I mean, you know, Luke mentioned that it, sort of an Asian American bakery could mean a lot of things. And I want to ask you, well, what does it mean to you in, you know, as someone who people look to as kind of a forerunner
4: in this, in this space? Well, first, thanks for all the nice words. Um, it's hard to believe people actually know about Breadbelly. <laughs> um, even though we just turned five, it's kind of a big deal on our end, but, um, I'm glad people are, people have received Breadbelly in the way that they have, um, I think defining breadbelly as an Asian-American cafe is something that we started out as. Um, it was just a, a way for people to access who we were, uh, who we are, and um, what we intended on putting out there. Yeah. Um, but I think over time, we've just started to approach it in our own way mm-hmm. um, I think in a broader sense we we, we do American food um, mm-hmm. and it, it, mm-hmm. we, we come from this culinary tradition of being european centric but uh, also embracing who we are as cooks mm-hmm. from our heritage but also just You're delicious. tradition yeah, right and yeah training delicious things we've eaten in our travels. I think yeah. this amalgam of like experiences is really what we try to express well at Bread Belly. Yeah. Um, so did
3: you come up like in a, like, you know, I guess French trained or like the, the kind of classical chef training that people might be thinking of?
4: Yeah, definitely. I, I my partners and I, James, Catherine and I, we come from European tradition, French trained kind of classic, uh, culinary techniques. I'm, those skills are in our hands but I think you know as you kind of evolve and grow as a cook you start to think a little deeper about you know what's meaningful for you Um, what you put out there what you put on a plate I think those things um, become more and more important rather than just strictly technique or uh, Mm -hmm. the cutting edge culinary movement Um, Mm -hmm. I think you start to think more deeply and thoughtfully about how you're represented in the food that you put out mm. there to your guests and to the people around you. Yeah. Um, was there, let me ask this, was there a
3: particular thing that you made where you were like, aha, this is not fusion, this thing, which is slightly embarrassing? This is an authentic representation of like who I am as a cook, but it also incorporates both like a European technique and maybe like uh, an Asian flavor profile.
4: I can name a, a product that we have yeah, at Bread Belly. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So James, um, my partner, who's yeah. mostly involved uh, with this the savory side, uh, he's the chef there, and he he made a breakfast sandwich, right? <laughs> the yeah. quintessential, like, we are a morning time bakery kind of eatery. Uh, so it's it's got a fried egg, it's got grayed cheese, it's got smoked from Auntie ham, but it comes on a pandesal roll, right? So a traditional Filipino, Filipino bread, um, which Kate developed. Um, mm. She is Filipina. And then James put sweet and sour kale and uh, <laughs> spicy chili paste on it. Um, so, you know... Well, that sounds I, amazing. It, yeah, it's, <laughs> but it's hard. <laughs> it's, so good. It, when we talk about yeah. stuff like that, it's hard to categorize. You know, like, well, well, what is it? Is it, is right. it Filipino? Is it... Is it Chinese because it's sweet and sour? Yeah. Um, so it's almost it's Bay Area, man. Yeah. It's the Luke Psy, uh, It's the Luke food. Yeah. yeah. I think. I think for us, we we just call it American. Yeah. With like kind of hints of Asian uh, influence and inflections of kind of like our our heritage, but yeah. distinctly American.
3: Let's bring in another guest. We have Abby Ballingit, who is the author of Mayumu, which is a Filipino-American desserts remixed. Uh, welcome to the show, Abby.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
3: So um, talk to me. You know, we just got a little um, intro into one particular you know, Filipino baked good. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you see... Uh, Filipino-American cooking, especially given that you kind of have these multiple waves of colonialism that have kind of influenced this food, in addition to all the indigenous traditions and diasporic traditions?
6: For sure. I have roots in the Bay. I grew up in San Jose. um, And so I live in New York now. And I think that with Filipino food, it's so different wherever we are in the Midwest, if it's in the South, if it's here in California or in, in New York. So I do feel like there's constant kind of progression of this is my take on it, but it adds to a collective kind of story of who we are as Filipino American people. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me in like my desserts niche, I think that I also similarly love incorporating kind of Western flavors or Filipino flavors in a Western kind of dessert. Um, but it's really fun to see kind of the vehicles of which like Ube has been so prolific, but you could take that in so many different directions and, I have like a recipe in my book that is also a pandasal recipe, but it's ube melon pandasal inspired by like a Japanese kind of take on it with mm. ube jam filling. And it has like the classic kind of sugar cookie crust over the top that looks like the melon shape. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's so fascinating that, you know, Filipino food and desserts specifically kind of have so many different kind of, I guess, verticals with like where we've been colonized from yeah. and also like the indigenous influences of, Speaking of Lunar New Year, we have, like, hopia, um, which is similar in a lot of form to, like, a mooncake, um, mm. which I, I love as a dessert. We use a lot of mung bean as well, and it's just so cool to see kind of the overlap with other um, Asian-American communities, yeah.
3: too. When you grew up, right, in different areas of Bay I mean, you spent some time down in South Bay, spent some time in Berkeley, spent some time in Stockton. Were there things you think that were specific to the to the foods uh, even of those individual filipino communities in those different places
6: yeah i mean i'm i'm lucky to kind of as i feel like my uh, bias is filipino there's such a big filipino community in stockton and also in san jose and i feel like berkeley it's not as large but i do see like the i went to so many boba shops at berkeley when i was an undergrad <laughs> i feel like there was never an end of like what kind of combination stores could be a boba shop combo shop with like um a shaved ice place taiko-gaki place and so i think there's that kind of like overarching narrative of like bay area asian american culture is so predominant mm. um and i always felt that was american to me and i feel very lucky to have like grown up with so much diversity but i think i don't know there is kind of a sense of like wow we have so much that we can mm-hmm. eat here that is different from new york it's totally different. totally
3: we're talking about Asian American bakeries and desserts, kind of celebrating the upcoming Lunar New Year. Joined by Luke Tsai, KQED food editor, Abby Bollingett, who's author of Mayumu, Filipino American Desserts Remixed. Clem Su, co-owner of Breadbelly Bakery and Cafe in the Richmond in San Francisco. Of course, we want to hear from you. What desserts are you making or that you feel inspired to make at uh, celebrate lunar new year favorite asian american bakeries or desserts you can email us forum at kqed.org or you can give us a call at 866-733-6786 i'm alexis madrigal station for more right after the break
0: support for forum comes from san francisco opera
3: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Asian-American desserts. We're talking about Asian-American bakeries here in the Bay Area. And we're celebrating upcoming Lunar New Year. this weekend. Joined by Clem Sue, co-owner of Breadbelly Bakery and Cafe in Richmond and San Francisco. Abby Ballingit, who's author of *Myumu: Filipino American Desserts* remixed, of course, joined by Luke Sai, who does this segment with us, all you can eat. He's KQED's food editor, and I wanted to add Christina Cho in. She's the author of *Moon Cakes and Milk Bread*, won the 2022 James Beard Award for her cookbook, which focuses on recipes from Chinese bakeries. Welcome. Hey, good morning. So we were talking about the ultimate kind of Bay Area experience, bouncing around at all these these different places. You grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, though, right? I mean, is there a big Chinese-American population out there?
2: It's there. It's very small. (laughs) um, But growing up, I always felt kind of grateful because my grandparents would live there. And it felt like on the weekends when I would go visit them, I was all of a sudden surrounded by people who looked like me. I could Mm
1: -hmm. hear
2: Cantonese spoken at restaurants. I could get dim sum and food that felt like family. But then there was also that dichotomy of where I grew up, like, in the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio, that felt mm. very, very different. So, it my upbringing was very different than my life now in yeah. the Bay Area.
3: Was there something that you would get in one of those Chinatown bakeries where you were sort of like, "Yes, this is the thing that um, <laughs> you know that I that I look forward to from Monday through Friday"?
2: I think I was a. Typical child, and I was obsessed with hot dogs. I don't know. I think all <laughs> kids are kind of obsessed with hot dogs in some way. And uh, for a while, you know, w- we
3: did an entire show on hot dogs. It I was would called have loved Raw to have been Dog, there. and it was really um, perfect. Yes. Uh, but anyway, you were saying hot dogs. Yeah, yeah. Hot
2: dogs. And in Cleveland, there was not a like standalone bakery for a very long time. I think there's only one now called Co- Cocoa Bakery, and it opened in like mm-hmm. maybe 20, 2009 or so. But as a kid, we would drive up to Chicago or even Toronto as our closest Chinatown to stock up on baked goods. It was a very important part of our trip. And I would beeline it for the case that had hot dog buns in there (laughs) um, in all these different shapes. Sometimes they're shaped like a flower. Sometimes it's like a really big, like pigs in a blanket. But I was like, I need a hot dog bun. That was my favorite thing.
3: (laughs) That is such a great... (laughs) Hasn't changed. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) amazing. Um, Luke, your daughters actually picked out a recipe from Christina's cookbook to make for Lunar New Year, right? What's she making? <laughs> um, yeah, we,
5: we were just, uh, the, the cookbook is is wonderful. We, we love it. <laughs> and um, we were just flipping through because we are like, Lunar New Year is coming and my daughter is really into baking and she wanted to make something. And so we came across your recipe for pow pow steamed cupcakes or fagao. Oh, yeah. Which in your intro to it, you talk about how um, your grandmother would uh typically only make them for uh chinese new year um and it has that uh lucky connotation you know because it has the word fa which Uh connotes the building of wealth Uh um and they're these steam cupcakes that sometimes um you might see them um in a steamer at dim sum um -hmm. and it's like a super simple recipe it's it's just like uh brown sugar for the sweetener But what I love about it is um, in your recipe, you explained that uh, as part of the batter, your grandma would always use um, biscuit, you know, the the instant uh, pancake mix um, to make it. And I just love that. and and you know, just for the record, I bought Bisquick uh, for the first time in I don't know how long, <laughs> specifically I only have to this make for this recipe. recipe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like it perfectly encapsulates, you know, because I think I love this newer trend of Asian American bakers, whether on the cookbook side or the bakery side, really embracing. Um, their heritage and and also really evolving it. Um, but I also think that there's this older, sort of less flashy version of Asian American baking um, that was practiced by so many first gen- generation immigrants, like including my own mom and mm-hmm. many of the aunties and uncles that I grew up with, you know, the baking of assimilation, right? The baking of-
3: making This is what I can way. find at Safeway. Yeah. Yeah,
5: yeah exactly. the ingredients that you have on hand Um, And by doing that, sometimes maybe even improving on the original in Mm. some cases, right? Like I think you say that the recipe just doesn't taste the same when you make it without the Bisquick, right? Yeah,
2: when I was testing that recipe, I wanted to develop a version where it didn't use Bisquick. And so I was just trying ratios of flour, brown sugar, and like how much baking soda or baking powder to use in it. And it just like wasn't right. And so I think to your point, I think... That there, this older generation of kind of like ingenuity just sort of speaks to like how deep this culture in Asian American, in, in Asian American culture, how much there's like innovation and like working with what you have. Um, and yeah, that's one of my favorite recipes. If not, it's like the easiest recipe in the entire book. I'm I'm
3: looking forward to making this. (laughs) Um, And I also want to come back to steamed desserts in a second. But first, I want to add in Kevin Kwa, another uh, local bakery owner, owned CA Bakehouse, also called California Bakehouse in San Jose. Welcome, Kevin.
8: What's up? Thanks for having me.
3: So your shop really picks up where a beloved bakery, Century Bakery, left off. I mean, that was a shop that was started by your co-owner's mom, as I understand it, right? And it kind of popularized uh, a lot of Vietnamese baked goods. Um, are there? How did you, you like take on that legacy? Do you need to have like all the things that used to be in the old place plus like your
8: new stuff? Did you select just the stuff that you really loved? How'd you how'd you decide? Well, that? so uh, my co-owner uh, Kevin, his name's also Kevin, so it might get a little bit confusing. Um, but when we so we used to work together um, and we opened up an ice cream shop, and then uh, Century Breakery closed, but he wanted to continue his family tradition, so he came to me. I was like, would you like to open up a bakery? And I was like, I would love to. And he was like, we'll be using um, my mom's recipes and whatnot. Because, you know, she already had the foundation of everything. Uh, but we wanted to basically modernize um, the bakery because a lot of it was very traditional. Um, so we scrapped pop- probably half of hmm. of the menu. And then we started out with a lot of traditional items when we first opened. So we had, you know, your, your hot dog buns, um, your barbecue pork buns and whatnot. And then... Um, But then we also added like, you know, uh, shoes, um, which is like basically a cream puff. And we have like different flavors. So we have like pandan or hojicha or durian, Mm -hmm. black sesame, ube. And then we added croissants and we fill it up with like kaya cream or ube cream. Uh, Obviously, we still kept like uh, our most famous uh, item, which is the green waffle. Mm -hmm. Uh, That became a tradition, especially during Lunar New Year's, we would sell maybe... A thousand of them oh for throughout the weekend, and you would just smell it down the whole block. Um, and then we, I ended up going to Portugal to learn how to make Portuguese egg tarts, and so we added in the uh, that into the menu. And then we mm-hmm. also made different flavors. So we have a durian uh, Portuguese egg tart and also a carrot Portuguese egg tart. Oh, wow. How much is
3: this community that I see represented here of people who are doing this kind of new style of baking, how much is this like a self-conscious thing? Like, do you go to Bread Belly and you think like, oh, I like what he did with this? Or is it more like you're each in your own lane, you're kind of each doing your own thing? Uh, What would you say? Uh,
8: In the beginning, at least, we were all kind of, uh, I say, each in their own lane. Um, So we just focus on like what we have Mm -hmm. and improving them. And uh, And then afterwards... Uh, what you like said, it's like, oh, if I go to Milk Bells, oh, this is pretty cool, maybe we could do something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like, um, I know in Hawaii, uh, one of my friends he brought me back like um, a mochi butter of some sort, mm-hmm. and we really enjoyed it. And it's like, well, maybe we could turn it into like a mini mochi cake or something. Um, so we 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 ended up making mochi cakes, which is made from uh, rice flour and glutinous flour and everything and then we put like guava in it Mm -hmm. or or banana and walnuts and um so yeah oh
3: man we've got um some listeners writing in with some of their favorite things of course we've got a full house celebrating Uh, Asian-American innovation in desserts and and baking. Uh, We've got Luke Sai, KQED food editor, who does this segment with us, which is called All You Can Eat, of course. Uh, We have Kevin Quach, who's owner of California Bakehouse, located in San Jose, also CA Bakehouse. We've got Christina Cho, author of Mooncakes and Milk Bread, won the 2022 James Beard Award for her cookbook. We've got Abby Bollingit, author of Mayumu, uh, Filipino American desserts remixed. And we've got Clem Sue, co-owner of Bread Belly, a bakery and cafe in the Richmond in San Francisco. We do have a shout-out for you, Clem. Uh, listener <laughs> writes, I love Bread Belly, which has introduced me to a lot of different Asian flavors that I would never have thought to eat with things like croissant or pastry. If you stop by, you need to try their Mapo tofu focaccia. I think it's called Mapo Kacha. <laughs> it has the flavors of Mapo tofu, like five spice powder on this focaccia bread. It's so satisfying, and you would never think that this might work in that form but that is the bread that sings i mean my only problem with this is focaccia is so like the the dumbest simplest focaccia like you google focaccia dumb focaccia recipe and it's so good it seems almost impossible to improve on it but the uh, the listener writes you have you have improved on it
4: awesome i'm, I'm glad you sold it better than i could <laughs>
3: Um, We also have, uh, Morgan writes in to say, my favorite Asian bakery is Third Culture in Berkeley. Their mochi donuts are incredible. I totally agree with that. And also the colors inside Third Culture are also amazing and so fun. Um, We, of course, would love to uh, hear from you. What are your questions about um, this new wave of Asian American bakeries and bakers and, and desserts? Um, Maybe some of your favorites uh, from some of these places. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Or you can go on any of the social things uh, on our Discord, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Christina, there is kind of a common trope um, that producer Grace Wan has informed me about among Asian families that the best compliment you can give a dessert is it's not too sweet. So obviously, a matter of personal taste. but what do you think about dessert sweetness and how you have, have tried to I don't, figure out the right the right level of sweetness
2: yeah i've I've heard the compliment it's not too sweet like my entire life. <laughs> um, I think growing up as a kid, like being in the midwest, like I had an affinity to like very sweet things like I always wanted like a triple chocolate cake or something like that and Mm -hmm. my parents would like kind of grimace like this hurts my teeth or something like the sheet Uh, (laughs) cake yeah exactly (laughs) which I still have a sweet spot in my heart for it but um, I think like as I've gotten older I've started to kind of like understand that philosophy behind um, Mm -hmm. that not too sweet philosophy behind like a a baked good Um, I think a lot of times in Asian culture we're early Asian baking you're relying on the inherent kind of like natural sweetness of ingredients. Like you see a lot of times, you're relying on like fresh fruit or the complexities you find in fruit, like sweet, salt, uh, sweet, um, sour. Um, even in ingredients that are not as common in other types of baking, like red bean paste, black sesame paste, mm-hmm. like they don't seem like they would work in a bake in a baked good, but you see it all the time in Asian bakeries because there is that kind of. Again, natural sweetness to it. It's all Mm. about balance and, um, it's all about balance and like still being able to enjoy the flavors of what you're eating. I think is what not too
8: sweet really means. Yeah. Kevin, what do you think? I have to agree. Um, uh, using like the natural sweetness of ingredients. Um, I mean, growing up, my, my parents, I mean, I, I love cooking and I made ice cream. My parents are, oh, this is too sweet or it's too sweet. So I have to find a nice middle ground. So, oh, oh, it's not that sweet. It's really good. Um, and that's just with a lot of trial and error. Uh, we get a lot of compliments on that at the bakery, too. When like people eat our like, cream puffs, oh, it's actually not sweet, as not I thought too sweet <laughs> as I thought it would be. Um, and that just might be inherently just... Because of the flavors, like black sesame, like Christine said, said, um, usually it's more um, earthy. So, yeah. you know, so it could it counterbalances the, the sweetness of the sugar. Um, same thing with durian. Durian is very pungent. Um, so and durian can speak for itself, you don't really <laughs> need to add much to it. Um, and same thing with our 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 waffles. Our waffle is more aromatic than than sweet of if, if, if anything. Yeah. Um, I,
5: um, oh, ahead, I, I
8: wanted to, yeah, I wanted to jump in on that too because I think I also
5: grew up in a household, an Asian household, where that was the highest compliment that you could pay a dessert. <laughs> you know, it's not not too sweet, and I have found myself also reflexively saying this in a complimentary way whenever <laughs> I'm eating a dessert um, that I like. Um, but I just wanted to highlight. My former colleague at Eater, um, Jai S. Xena, um, wrote this uh, really great essay called The Bitter Taste of Not Too Sweet. Um, and it was about this trope and, and sort of how not too sweet has become a sort of badge of honor and almost like a marker of identity for a lot of hmm. diasporic Asians. Um, but also she writes about how the truth is is sort of more complicated because there are a lot of us who do like very sweet things and it's also not um necessarily true if you widen the lens beyond um, just east Asians. so like for instance south asians and certain southeast asian um cuisines um have like a lot of sweet desserts but i i do think it's a, a useful way to think about like overall taste preferences and and it, it did make me wonder like some of these bakeries like how much that's in the back of your head when you're developing recipes, yeah. like whether it be for a cookbook or, or for your bakery, um, you know, whether it's your own taste or, or, or if you have it in the back of your head, like if Asian customers come, they're not going to want
3: it to be too sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to get Abby on this, but first I'm going to bring in Barbara in San Francisco. Welcome, Barbara. Thank
9: you so much. And gong hei pot choy. I remember... <laughs> I remember on my breaks when working uh, adjacent to Ch- Chinatown and serving that community uh, from the edge of the financial district, walking up the hill, you know, past Portsmouth, Portsmouth Square, and and going to the Pacific Bakery, and having a seal bao. Yeah. Now maybe your guest could describe what was inside—a <laughs> big little, little piece of meat—and yeah. um, I don't. And I just remember I loved it. Yeah. Uh, I also could go up to, uh, stay on Grand Avenue, and I could see the dragon that was going to be in the in the parade, which we're going to have again. Yeah. And it was coiled up from above and looking right at me through the window. So I just have wonderful memories.
3: Oh, yeah. Do you want to describe that uh, particular baked good, Christina? Yeah. Thanks, Barbara.
9: <laughs> Thanks, Barbara. A Chasu Bao
2: is a barbecue pork bun. It's yeah. most commonly steamed. You also can get them baked, um, depending on your personal preference, but it's one of the best buns out there. Yeah,
3: and just like a like a classic, yeah? Mm-hmm. You
2: know yeah. I mean? yeah, it's like a, a gateway bun yeah. for a lot of people.
3: Um, Abby, I wanted to ask you about, is is that it's not too sweet? Is that also part of Filipino culture? I think of like shave ices and things like that that maybe are pretty sweet.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think like at least my parents, they are very much of the same vein of, you know, complimenting things if they're if they're not too sugary. But I guess, like in the back of my mind, like I think of like um Sago, uh, and like Sago Kulaman, which has like a brown sugar syrup, and tofu. Um, and like also like like basically basically like jelly cubes and things like that, where mm. I do think that there's like not that there's a lack of sugar, but I think there's always something like earthier or something kind of balancing those flavors that I, I really appreciate about like traditional like Filipino desserts and food. Mm. Um, but I will say like on the inverse of like savory food, I, I tend to find Filipino food edging on sweeter like filipino spaghetti with banana ketchup um which is very traditional and like we love that so it's it's kind of interesting to see where like that kind of palette came from and obviously what we talked about before with colonization and and they just like the i guess like growth of like communities as we keep expanding out into the world God, I love banana ketchup
3: so much. Um, Jimmy writes in to say, I just want to express my appreciation for your guest bakers and other bakers evolving Asian American foods. I worked at my dad's bakery in Oakland, Chinatown in the 1970s, and he retired when I graduated California College of the Arts in the late 1990s. I didn't continue the family business because it was 17 hours a day, 364 (laughs) days a year. I'm proud and envious that this generation is focusing on the craft, making a living out of it, and they seem to have well-rounded lives. Do you you have well-rounded lives? (laughs) The the, the bakery owners in here are like, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, We're talking about Asian-American desserts and baking, celebrating – Upcoming Lunar New Year, we're joined by Luke Tsai, KQED food editor; Christina Cho, author of Moon Cakes and Milk Bread; Kevin Quach, owner of CA Bakehouse in San Jose; Abby Belongit, author of Mayumu, Filipino American desserts remixed; and Clem Sue, co-owner of Bread Belly Bakery and Cafe in the Richmond in San Francisco. We'll get to more of your calls and your comments um, after the break. Are you? What's your favorite? Asian American dessert or baked good you can email us forum at kqed.org what's an Asian American flavor combination that you thought would not work but ended up blowing your mind call us tell us about it 866-733-6786 I'm Alexis Madrigal stay tuned for more right after the break Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We've got a Full House here for the latest edition of All You Can Eat with Luke Sai, KQD Food Editor. We've got Clem Sue from Bread Belly, a bakery and cafe in Richmond and San Francisco. Uh, Abby Ballingit, author of Mayumu, Filipino-American Desserts Remixed. Kevin Quach, owner of CA Bakehouse in San Jose. And Christina Cho, author of Moon Cakes and Milk Bread, an award-winning uh, James James Beard award-winning cookbook. Um, We'll get to more of your, uh, your comments and questions. But first, we have a listener who wants to know about milk bread. Um, so I think, Clem Christianity this is coming to you. Um, I love going to Anderson Bakery in Japantown, and they have this fluffy bread called milk bread. I've seen it in the Japanese grocery store. What makes the bread so fluffy? If folks haven't heard of it, they need to pick up a loaf, makes the most incredible toast. Is this a Japanese recipe, Chinese? Where does it come from? Um, Clem, let's start with you on this one.
4: Yeah, so uh, milk bread, or Japanese-style shokupan, um, it... Has a amazing cotton like quality uh, because it's not sourdough bread. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it uses um, finer flour that's milled much more than what we're accustomed to when we think of San Francisco bread. So I think it's such a stark contrast to what we're typically seeing in sandwiches, like the tartine kind yeah, of thing. Totally, yeah. So I, I'm very proud that. Uh, you know, San Francisco being a sourdough eating city has embraced soft bread, soft white <laughs> bread. Um, but yeah, it's distinctly fluffier because the flour is finer and uh, it doesn't use like whole grains. Mm-hmm. And um, there's there is a process of like cooking a little bit of the flour beforehand mm-hmm. um, that keeps it a little bit more tender um the inclusion of um milk um milk solids in, mm-hmm. in the bread um what gives it its name but also its flavor and texture yeah. um so all these things kind of lend lend to why it's not so lean you know some yeah. of the milk fats yeah Actually, do you want to add anything
2: to yeah i think um Clem hit all the points. It's a enriched bread. So as Clem was saying, there there's milk in there, and there should also be butter and eggs, and all these things have fat, which also contributes to kind of that really tender like richness mm-hmm. that's in the bread. Um, in my recipe, I have a good amount of. Like sugar in there so that it has like that not too sweet factor that we were talking about before. But um, I think milk bread is also like a really adaptable bread. Like in Chinese bakeries, it's the base for sweet and savory buns. And so it can kind of go in either direction.
3: Yeah. And what about? I just want to. Oh, go ahead, Luke.
5: Oh, I just want to say also that um, my kids eat, they're so spoiled. They eat milk bread pretty much exclusively. Like it's the only bread. <laughs> that they will eat. And so I probably spend 20% of my paycheck just on milk. Subsidizing
3: their fiber intake. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's so funny. Um, So uh, we have another, um, another listener comment here. Gary writes, the idea of not too sweet is interesting as a Taiwanese American. There's a lot of use of sugar in our dessert, in our desserts likely due to sugar cane cultivation, especially under Japanese colonization. The opposite of the compliment is the worst criticism, uh, daidin, hopefully I said that correctly, meaning stupid sweet and unbalanced sweetness, salt, bitterness, or, or sourness. Have you heard that, um, Luke?
5: I, I have not. I don't know if that's in the Taiwanese dialect or if that's in, in Mandarin, but the concept for sure <laughs> I've heard all the time. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. Um, here's a, here's a question for people who are in various parts of the Bay Area. If you had to recommend a great bakery. One, this person is asking specifically about Oakland, Chinatown. But if you had to recommend somebody else's great bakery, obviously aside from the great bakeries we have here, um, what, where would you send people? And maybe we'll uh, start with you, Clem.
2: We're all silent. I know. That's <laughs> a really hard question.
4: That is, a, that is a hard question. I think there's so many people doing doing great things. I'll, I'm going to pass it off. I'll come back. <laughs> Kevin, do you have a...
8: Uh... Milk belly. <laughs> Red right, yeah, yeah. belly, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I enjoy Pineapple King a lot. Pineapple King? Yeah.
2: So yeah. my answer might be controversial. Oh, um, I'm ready. In, in a Richmond... So two places. I really love... You might not think of them as a traditional bakery, but I really love Good Luck Dim Sum and Shalong Bao, which are only a few blocks apart from each other on Clement Street. And what's nice about them, they serve dim sum, savory food, but they also have bakery options. Uh. And Good Luck Dim Sum is my fav- one of my favorite restaurants just on the planet. And they have um, these really good, like their sesame balls, they're mm. super, super good. If you want to indulge in that, and then at Shalong Bao, they make a really fluffy Malay cake, probably the best Malay cake I've ever had which is a steamed uh, if you don't know what a malay cake is it's yeah. a steamed brown sugar cake. Um, that's nice and spongy.
3: I'm glad you brought us back to steamed desserts because I do feel like this is something that I associate at least with some forms of asian cooking of is the steaming of desserts um tell me about like what that does to uh, i guess a custard <laughs> or uh, a yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, I I think steaming is or steaming is a kind of common way of making a lot of cooking and also of making different sweets in Asian culture. Um I can just kind of speak to like my, my family is from Hong Kong. And so whenever I visit my family there, their apartments, like they don't have ovens. They don't use their ovens. Actually baking something is not a common practice in their life. My grandma has never turned it on in her life. It's just a cabinet for <laughs> sheet pans and stuff. <laughs> so there's no actual baking. You reserve that for uh, like a professional bakery. Um, Um, But steaming all the time, you know, like my grandma's steam cupcakes uh, that Luke brought up before. Um, You can steam cutters in it, you can steam buns. um, And I think it's like a really gentle way of cooking that is also really hard to also kind of like make it dry because you're cooking with moisture, cooking with vapor. Um, And so things just come out kind of like extra tender and fluffy when you Mm -hmm. steam things.
3: Um, Kevin, did you want to, you seem like you might have something to say about that.
8: Oh, I was just going to agree. It's more of a, a gentle process. Of cooking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. Um, we have another uh, listener who wants to talk about some of the like the, the special flavors. Um, listener asks, I find some of the flavors which I'm not familiar with a little intimidating. I know I should dive in, but could the guest maybe describe ube, pandan, and other ingredients? I'm too intimidated to ask when I'm in the bakery. Um, maybe we can start with ube, which really now seems to have... Kind of be everywhere right now, Clem.
4: Yeah, so I it's funny because uh, at Breadbelly, we actually don't use ube. We uh, we have a product called uh, not ube tart. <laughs> and uh, when Catherine was developing it, we 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 thought, you know, instead of using ube, which wouldn't be grown locally, uh, maybe we can source something a pr- uh, produce to use that would be more local. Um, mm-hmm. And equally as delicious. Uh, so we actually use a, a purple sweet potato from Stokes. Um, it's delicious. It's it's just the right texture and sweetness. Um, and it really lends itself to kind of scratching that ube itch if yeah. you've got one. And it's really bright purple. So uh, <laughs> it helps. Um, but yeah, I would say uh, don't be afraid to ask uh, about interesting ingredients. I think if we... As people making products that are using interesting ingredients, we want to talk about it. And, and you know, our teams are so ready to engage in those conversations and, and share share with you all, like, what we do. Yeah. Um, we've got an interesting question on the phone here. Let's bring in Rohit in
3: Hayward. Welcome, Rohit.
5: Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm really excited to hear about all the different perspectives on Asian food, One question that I had is around an Indonesian suite called Martabak Manis or Tarang
3: I'm curious if there are others
5: that are similar to that that you can find in the Bay Area or uh, preferably that one specifically
4: has a spot that you guys know about.
3: Yeah. So that was about Indonesian baked goods. You're breaking up a tiny bit there. Maybe, um, Luke, do you know a spot where we could get Indonesian baked goods for Rohit?
5: Um... That's, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if there is a specifically Indonesian bakery. You know, there are Indonesian restaurants that might sell um, mm. Indonesian sweets, but I don't know if any of our other um, uh, guests would know, or um, I don't know, like, does Bread Belly do any Indonesian desserts, for instance? Nope. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's a, t- a st- you stumped Luke's side. That should be actually like part of uh, part of all, all you can eat is. Can you stump Luke with a place? Um, <laughs> Uh, we are talking about Asian-American baking and desserts, celebrating upcoming Lunar New Year. Joined by Luke Sai, KQED food editor, Clem Su, co-owner of Bread Belly, Abby Bollingit, author of Mayumu, Filipino-American desserts Remix, Kevin Quach, owner of CA Bakehouse, located in San Jose, and Christina Cho, author of Moon Cakes and Milk Bread. Um, Abby, are you getting ready for any special Lunar New Year things?
6: Yeah, so I'm actually doing a dinner with friends, and we're gonna do a kamayan, which is fun. Um, but what honestly, is that? I'm what very- is that? Oh, it's like um, basically Filipino, kind of like eating with your hands, kind of big feast on banana leaves. Um, but no, honestly, I'm always like also pop into New York Chinatown as well, just because you need to get you know get in and and have fun at the Lunar New Year parade.
3: Um, if people are, you know, inspired by listening to you and some of the other bakers, what would you recommend people try and find as a sort of Filipino-American dessert?
6: In general or for Lunar Lunarating? Yeah,
3: I guess, you know, for this week. Let's say you're inspired this week to go out and eat something. Yes.
6: <laughs> um, I would say if you can, um, on like, I would try to get uh, anything red. Um, I, I love these, like, I have like a red velvet Silvana's recipe in my book, um, which is like a meringue, cashew meringue cookie filled with like a cream cheese frosting. But whatever red desserts that people have, I would recommend you go out and get it. Mm.
4: Um, Clem, are there going to be specialty things at Breadbelly Belly or no? Yeah, we've got a, a few different things going on. Um, it's kind of a crazy red week between Lunar New Year and Valentine's Day. So <laughs> just, just going with it. Sharing. Yeah. Uh, we've got... Uh, we've, we dried some hoshigaki while persimmons were in season. Um, so we're, we're doing our take on, um, you know, a, a hoshigaki product. We, it's filled with guava patafui and um, shiruan, a sweet white bean paste. So um, that's on the menu. We've got uh, a traditional Chinese uh, pork product called bakwa. It's like a type of jerky. Uh, <laughs> I think the traditional way of preparing it is it's sun-dried. We obviously just use an oven. You made this yourself. Um, oh, okay, yep. I love that. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> okay. it's, it's ground pork, and it's got loads of flavor, five spice. We glaze it with pineapple and honey. So oh, yeah. wow. it's like a delicious umami-rich bite. Um, One sec. This is a uh, fundraising period for KQED Public
3: Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal.
4: Yeah. Anything
3: else aside from the, this amazing jerky?
4: Yeah, we've got uh, some meringue rochers uh, with like raspberry and um, nuts. Uh, that's kind of more Frenchy, but uh, <laughs> it's got it's got uh, raspberry powder on top, so it's red. Uh, really embracing it. Uh, bread bellies dressed up with like dragons and lanterns. Um, really trying to. I think we went a little harder on Lunar New Year than we did on Christmas. At least that's what everyone's telling me. Oh, so. Yeah. <laughs> um kevin you were also saying that there's
3: you know this is a week when everybody is in the bakery right now this is like a huge lift
5: yeah
8: it's um <clears throat> i mean every year for Lunar news is the, the whole area so where our bakery is located in vietnam town mm-hmm. and usually there's just a bunch of people that go out light firecrackers, and there will be like dragon lion dance like every five minutes <laughs> uh it's, it's gonna be super loud you'll probably no, none of our customers will probably hear us when we're calling the names. <laughs> uh, and like at least last year, I would be taking orders and be like, how many waffles you want? Five, 10, 15? Yeah. I can't hear you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh That's man, mean. that sounds fun though. It'll, um, yeah, it'll be really fun. It'll be chaotic. Yeah. Um,
3: other listeners are shouting out particular places, uh, actually in answer to the Indonesian, um, Singaporean Malaysian question, uh, Luke, Excellent. Uh listener writes, Sandai and Kopi bar in Walnut Creek has wonderful pastries inspired by Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia. So there we go. A new oh. place for us all to try. Um, oh, and, we,
5: and we've had um, Chef Nora on the air with us
3: before. Oh, you're right. Um, yeah. I forgot that that's the name of her new spot. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's cool. Um, uh, Allie uh, writes in to shout out Douwe Mi um, in Union City and their fabulous donuts. Um, makes amazing flavors. Asian-inspired, such as durian, had these donuts for the first time on the weekend, and they were incredible. Um, here is an actual uh, technique question. Um, so maybe, Christina, we can start start with you. It seems like home home cook technique question. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura writes, I have been making a baked uh, Gao from a recipe, and it's hard because I didn't grow up with it. My Taiwanese mother-in-law has asked me to make it for her friends, so I guess I'm doing all right. But sometimes it doesn't bake evenly, and I am thinking I might even want to try steaming it. Is this something a home cook can do, this Chinese rice oh, cake? Okay. Is this a recipe that you can recommend?
2: Yeah, so uh, Ningo is a... Like a brown sugar, glutinous rice cake, you could kind of compare it to like a butter mochi. Um, and it's made during Lunar New Year. Ningo just kind of means like higher year, luckier year for the year ahead. Mm. Um, I actually did not grow up making this, but I've had it a lot trying other people's recipes. Um, I have tried steaming it, which is the most traditional way to mm. make it. I understand the dilemmas of it because it's it's a thick cake it's really hard Mm. to tell if it's like cooked all the way through um so I think that I've I've made baked butter mochi before and I feel like baking it it's probably a little bit of an easier option um if you're not sure if it's actually baking all the way through it actually it should be gooey if you're doing like a (laughs) toothpick test that you Mm -hmm. do with other cakes and you're like oh it's not coming out clean that's what's going to happen because it's a really gooey gelatinous cake um the version of this cake that I I actually just made it yesterday Uh, My grandma makes a brown sugar tapioca cake instead. So you kind of switch out the flours and you steam it in layers, which I think is a really great way of like ensuring that every layer is consistent, consistently cooked through all the way through. Um, So you can kind of give that recipe a try too. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for that.
3: Um, We have one more um, shout out. Uh, Kathy in Pacifica real quick. You have a Korean pastry you want to
10: mention. Yeah. Hi. I, I, I'm Korean American and uh I like to make hot dog um spelled H O T T E O K mm-hmm. and if you go to the Korean markets like um and in Daily City, you can actually buy it like this quick. You know, it's um it has everything you need to make the pastry and it's best fried and it has um sesame uh a sesame mm-hmm. powder. But I always put um a, a can I get a can of the red bean um, paste, and uh, it's very delicious. Um, and Korean Koreans are not known for dessert after a big Korean barbecue dinner, <laughs> but actually there are a number of desserts that um, that are made, like um, um, wrapped walnuts in, within a pastry and um yeah the fish shaped pastry like the japanese american um bakers too
3: i love that I kathy just, thank you so much yeah no i'm glad we we were able to squeeze you in there really appreciate that um we have been talking about asian american desserts all, all across the board here we got from in indonesia uh to korea with collars um we've been talking about asian american desserts with luke sai kqed food editor thanks so much luke Thanks so much for having me, Lexus. We've also been joined by Clem Su, co-owner of Bread Belly here in the city. Thanks, Clem. Thanks for having hey. me. Kevin Quach, owner of CA Bakehouse located in San Jose. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Christina Cho, author of Moon Cakes and Milk Bread. Thank you. Thanks. Abby Ballinghead, author of Mayumu, Filipino American Desserts Remix. Next time we'll have to ch- talk about the Orchata babinka. Uh, I really want to yes. talk about it. Next time. Thanks so much, Abby.
6: <laughs> Thank you.
3: I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim.